This is a BBP News election update. This week, a number of states went to the primaries and voted, starting off with South Carolina. The governor, Henry McMaster, is up for re-election and did make it through the primaries. He is the Republican candidate, and the Democratic candidate is Joe Cunningham. There are no representatives to speak of in terms of key races in South Carolina. And then in the Senate, Tim Scott, Republican, made it through the primaries. And then on the Democratic side, we have a runoff between Catherine Bruce and Crystal Matthews. That will be taking place on June 26th. And then in Maine for the governor's race, the current governor, Janet Mills, did make it through the primary. She is the Democratic candidate, and she'll be going up against Paul LePage on the Republican side. There are no key races for the House to speak of, and then there are no senators up for re-election this year either. In the state of Nevada, for governor's race, Steve Sislak, the current governor, he made it through the primaries, he is the Democratic candidate, and he will be going up against Republican Joe Lombardo. There are no representatives to speak of, and then in the Senate we have Catherine Cortez Masto, she is the Democratic candidate, and she will be going up against Adam Laxalt. In North Dakota, the governor is not up for re-election. There are no key races in the House to speak of. But in the Senate, John Hoven, a Republican current senator, will be going up against Democratic candidate Christina Christensen. This has been a BBP News election update. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of BBP News. I'm Nicholas Rod. Chris Baker is here with me, and we are back for another Friday morning episode. Chris, start us off in the normal Friday morning fashion by giving us the weather headed into this weekend. In Los Angeles, California, it is partly cloudy, 74, with a clear weekend. In Houston, Texas, it is partly cloudy, 94, with a mostly clear weekend. In Chicago, Illinois, it is clear, 82, with a partly cloudy weekend. And in uh, New York City, it is mostly clear, 90 degrees with a mostly clear weekend. All right. Well, you know, normally we'd have some kind of discussion, Chris, some kind of thing to open us up with. But uh, we do have a, quite a bit of news today. Um, we do. Um, probably the most we've had in a while. So start us off. Yeah, so we're just going to get right into it. Yeah. Starting off with... On Monday, the House Select Committee investigating the attack on the Capitol held their second public hearing. The focus in this hearing was to show that former President Trump knew that there was no fraud that took place in the 2020 election and decided to spread the message anyway. The first committee member to open discussion was Zoe Lofgren, Democrat from California. In her opening remarks, she explained that Former President Trump knew that the messages spread about election fraud were completely false and had laid out this plan to spread the messaging starting in April of 2020. The former president laid the groundwork for these false claims well in advance of the election. As early as April 2020, Mr. Trump claimed that the only way he could lose an election would be as a result of fraud. This statement was then followed by a clip of former President Trump talking about how the only way he would lose the next election was through election fraud. The only way we're going to lose this election is if the election is rigged. Remember that. It's the only way we're going to lose this election. This is going to be a fraud like you've never seen. Did you see what's going on? Take a look at West Virginia. Mailmen selling the ballots. They're being sold. They're being dumped in rivers. 
This is a horrible thing for our country. There is no, this is not, there is no this is not going to end well. The first witness to be questioned was Chris Seierwold, a former editor and member of Fox News, who spoke to the state of the election on the night of the election. The point of the questioning was to show that recounts wouldn't have possibly overturned the results across crucial states like Arizona. When we think about calling a race, one of the things that we would think about is, is it outside the margin of a recount? And when we think about that margin, we think about in modern history, you're talking about a thousand votes, 1500 votes at the way, way outside. Normally, you're talking about hundreds of votes, maybe 300 votes that are going to change. So the idea that through any normal process in any of these states, remember, he had to do it thrice, right? He needed three of these states to change. And in order to do that, I mean, you're at, you're at uh, an infant, you're better off to play the Powerball uh, than to have that come in. Trump's campaign manager, Bill Stepien, also submitted testimony where he explained that he knew things were looking bleak as the weeks dragged on and the votes were counted. And as, as that week wore on, as the third became the fourth, became the fifth, and so on and so forth, and the vote-by-mail ballots were tabulated, you know, Trump's, Trump's lead, you know, grew more narrow, and, and, in, and in some places, Biden surpassed, you know, Trump in, in the vote totals. So as, as the week wore on, um, as we paid attention to those numbers every single multiple times a day, um, you know, internally, um, you know, I, I I was feeling less confident for sure. What was your view on the state of the election at that point? Um, you know, uh, very, very, very bleak. There was also clips of Barr's testimony where he talked about the president's anger over the fact that he had released a statement saying there was no election fraud, a statement that almost got Bill Barr fired as attorney general. And the president was as mad as I've ever seen him, and he was trying to control himself. And the president said, well, this is you know, killing me. Uh, you didn't have to say this. You must have said this because you hate Trump. You hate Trump. In the second panel of witnesses, Lofgren started off by asking DJ Pack, a former U.S. attorney in the Northern District of Georgia, about the existence of voter fraud in that state, which had been a heavily spread message at the time. Specifically, Lofgren had dialed in on a video that had been spread around as supposed evidence of voter fraud, which was said to show a suitcase of votes being wheeled away in an Atlanta hotel. Here was the response from Pack. We found that the suitcase full of ballots, the alleged black suitcase that was being seen pulled from under the table, was actually an, an official lockbox where um, ballots were kept safe. We found out that there was a mistake in terms of a misunderstanding that they were done counting ballots or tallying ballots for the night, and the, the partisan uh, watchers that was assigned by each of the respective parties were announced to send home. Well, once they realized the mistake, someone from the Secretary of State's office had indicated that, no, 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 we're not done for the night. You need to go ahead and, and continue counting. Um, so once they packed up the lockbox full of ballots, they brought back the official ballot box again and continue to uh, tally the ballots from that, from the, the lockbox. 
The second witness on this second panel was Al Schmidt, a former commissioner for the city of Philadelphia and the only Republican commissioner at the time. Lofgren asked him about claims of votes coming in from people who were long dead, and Schmidt responded with this. Not only was there not evidence of 8,000 dead voters <clears throat> voting in Pennsylvania, there wasn't evidence of eight. This was followed up by Schmidt talking about the threats he received after standing against the voter fraud claims, especially after former President Trump tweeted at him personally. After the president tweeted at me by name, calling me out the way that he did, um, the threats became much more specific, much more graphic, uh, and included not just me by name, uh, but included members of my family, by name, their ages, our address, pictures of our home, just every bit of detail that you could imagine. That was what changed with that tweet. The final witness of the day was Ben Ginsburg, one of the most well-known Republican litigators around right now, and he was involved in the 2000 recount between former President George W. Bush and Al Gore. Ginsburg pointed out that based on the separation of the vote across several states, there just wasn't anything that to him proved massive amounts of fraud or the need for a recount. When asked whether he thought the Trump campaign had their chance to present their case in court to the fullest extent, he said this. They did have their day in court. About half of those cases that you mentioned were dismissed at the procedural stage uh, for a lack of standing, the proper people didn't bring the case, or there wasn't sufficient evidence and it got uh, dismissed on a motion to dismiss. But in the other, there was discussion of the merits that was, that was contained in the complaints. And in no instance did a court find that the charges of fraud were real. In her closing statements, Lofgren showed a video presentation that talked about how the messages of voter fraud were used to raise money, which the Trump campaign said would be going towards fighting that fraud, but they actually just used the money to enrich themselves. President Trump and his allies raised $250 million, nearly $100 million in the first week after the election. On November 9th, 2020, President Trump created a separate entity called the Save America PAC. Most of the money raised went to this newly created PAC, not to election-related litigation. The Select Committee discovered that the Save America PAC made millions of dollars of contributions to pro-Trump organizations, including $1 million to Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows' Charitable Foundation, $1 million to the America First Policy Institute, a conservative organization which employs several former Trump administration officials, $204,857 to the Trump Hotel Collection, and over $5 million to Event Strategies, Inc., the company that ran President Trump's January 6th rally on the ellipse. There was also supposed to be a hearing on Wednesday, but that was delayed due to technical difficulties. As of right now, we don't know when that hearing will be happening, but it is possible that it could be next week. There was also a hearing yesterday, and we will have a breakdown of that hearing on Monday's show. The next hearings will take place on Tuesday and Thursday of next week. 
A bipartisan group of senators have officially unveiled their framework for the bipartisan gun control legislation. The announcement came on Sunday and looks to be the best chance of getting gun reform through the United States Congress. The deal includes things such as incentives for states to implement red flag laws, a requirement to search juvenile and mental health records when performing a federal background check on those under 21 and trying to purchase a gun, Restrictions who is qualified to own a firearm, which closes what is known as the boyfriend loophole. Semi clarifies which gun sellers must register as federal arm dealers, which will more clearly show who needs to run background checks on customers. Establishes new federal offenses on illegal gun trafficking. Gives billions of federal dollars towards supporting things like mental health care and school security programs. Funding for behavior intervention programs and funding for community health clinics across the country. On Tuesday, the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell stated he is comfortable with the framework and will support a bill if it looks the same as the framework. For myself, I'm comfortable with the framework, and if the legislation ends up reflecting what the framework uh, indicates, I'll be supportive. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer stated that he would like to get something passed before their next recess, which will begin on June 24th. Some of the details still need to be ironed out, such as how much money is going to be spent on some of these different measures, as well as where this funding is going to be coming from. There's one provision that's not included in this framework that's being called for by Democrats, and that is the banning of assault weapons or to raise the age to purchase one from 18 to 21. However, the president has come out in support of this bill, saying that it is a step in the right direction. Next, the framework needs to be written out in bill format, which will likely be brought to the floor as quickly as possible in an attempt to get it passed. On Tuesday, the House passed a bill that looks to increase security for Supreme Court justices. The bill known as the Supreme Court Parity Act was originally passed on the Senate last month and had been waiting to come to the floor of the House. After the recent assassination attempt on the Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, the bill was pushed to the floor more urgently. Hey guys, Nick here, just here to throw in a quick editor's note. We did have the name of this bill wrong during the original recording. Its actual full name is the Supreme Court Police Parity Act of 2022. The final vote in the House was 396 to 27. All 27 no votes came from Democrats, with most saying that they wanted to hold off on the bill's passing until there was a portion added to give protection to either all federal judges or to Supreme Court staff. The bill will now head to the White House, where it is expected to be signed by President Biden. The CDC says you no longer need to get a negative COVID test before traveling into the United States. Yes, the CDC has now dropped the requirement that stated that you need to show a negative COVID-19 test or documentation of recovery from COVID-19 before flying back into the United States. The announcement came out last Friday and the requirement ended last Sunday. The CDC says that because of all current methods of fighting COVID-19, such as tests, vaccines, and therapeutics, 
The pandemic has moved to a new phase where this requirement is no longer needed. That being said, the CDC does still recommend that you get tested before flying, no more than three days before you leave, and they also say to hold off on traveling if you are sick. We have officially hit a bear market status when looking at the stock market. On Monday, the S&P 500 reached the status and we are likely going to continue seeing it for a while. When the market reaches the bear status, it means that it has officially fallen below 20% from its most recent all-time highs. There have been 14 of these bear market points since World War II that have pulled the S&P 500 down below as much as 30%. These bear market periods typically go on for about a year before the market surges once again towards recovery. This may lead many of the average investors to wonder what to do during this tough period. Experts say that it is the wrong move to pull your money out of the market. Instead, they suggest that you keep your money in unless you absolutely need it, don't just sell all of your stocks immediately. Experts say that those that keep their money invested will likely be rewarded for it when the market resurges. However, it is also important to not overinvest during this period, as it will likely be a while before we see this resurgence. Overall, this down period in the market is being linked to a couple different causes, including the increase in interest rates to fight the rising inflation here in the US, along with other un uncertainties throughout the world. Getting into rapid news, the Fed raised interest rates once again on Wednesday, this time by three quarters of a percent, and the largest increase since 1994, and with more raises expected throughout the year. And the NIH announced Wednesday that Dr. Anthony Fauci has tested positive for COVID-19. Nick, what do you got for this Friday morning good news? All right, so for my story today, we have just something that's absolutely amazing there's been a new guinness world record set for the youngest published author in the world five-year-old oh. bella has gotten a book published uh and that just proves that i am not doing like i'm doing something wrong <laughs> <laughs> doesn't what were you doing when you were five years old nick not writing books and getting published that much i know uh I'm... You know, I'm 20 years old and I'm still not doing that. Yeah, no. So the name of this book is called The Lost Cat, and it features a cat named Snowy who goes on an adventure after getting lost because she did not listen to her mom. So it has a safety message to it, which really, you know, promoted Bella's parents to uh, kind of just get this to publishers and to, like, see how far it could go. And it was published. It is available in paperback. It is also available on the Kindle. So... This is really getting like pushed around and really being made available. And well, someone doesn't have to worry about paying for college. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's awesome. She did all of the artwork herself, except for one picture, which was actually drawn by her older sister. So that was really cool. Um, but no, five years old and getting published. That's just insane. So you're pretty much telling me I'm doing something wrong with my life. That's really incredible. Five-year-olds published, you know, and it's available on paperback and a Kindle. Mm, and she's... Uh, and I'm sure it's more. not going to be the end of it. Yeah, she's planning to write more books. Uh, and it, I'm very interested to see what else she can do. 
That is the end of this Friday morning news episode. We will be back here Sunday morning for a what to expect for the week of June 19th. But until then, have a great start to your weekend, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye.